Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case you're uh, tuning in for the first time, welcome. And the Talent Talk Radio Show features a wide range of guests who care about talent or, and quite uh, typically, are very talented themselves. So on this show, we talk about talent in those two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully you see how that works. The word talent has a couple meanings in the business world, and we look to really explore those two meanings. My guests generally include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, uh, VPs, and all, recruiters, coaches, all t- different types of people that I meet when I'm out at networking events and industry conferences. I generally have the privilege of meeting these inspiring leaders all the time. So I created this forum to allow you to listen on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you tuning in live. Don't forget you can submit your questions via Twitter. Just tweet your questions to at PeopleG2, and that's the number two, hashtag Talent Talk, and my producer Mike will feed me the best questions, and we'll try to work them into the show. Don't forget you can uh, also listen via our podcast on iTunes, as well as subscribe to have the weekly show sent to you. We have surpassed the 18,000 listener mark on our podcast feed, and we're just so proud and just elated about that. Uh, hope that you continue to come back and uh, listen to past shows and, uh, and continue to learn even more. Today's show is a little bit different. Uh, typically, we have a guest come in, do a commercial break, and then we have another guest. Uh, sometimes they're in studio, sometimes they're not. But today we have two guests. They're in studio, and they're going to be with us for the entire hour. And the reason for that is they are coming to us from Golden State Foods. We have Herb uh, Callahan, Corporate Leadership Development Director, and uh, Stephen Baker, the Senior Vice President, here in our studio. And we're really going to explore uh, their perspectives on talent as it relates to their company. We thought it might be fascinating to have two people from the same organization possibly giving us different answers. We'll see uh, how today goes. So, Herb and Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, you guys did that right in harmony. Yeah. That was great. That was great. Well, you're looking for different answers. I work for him. so Let's, let's start with you, Stephen. You know, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and your background and uh, maybe a little bit about Golden State Foods. Well, I'm originally from San Francisco. Came down here about 25 years ago. Uh, originally with a uh, paper distribution company called Unisource for 20 years. And then I was fortunate enough to join Golden State Foods in the year 2000. Golden State Foods is a diversified food processing and food distribution company. We service somewhere in the neighborhood of 25,000 restaurants out of 42 locations on five continents. Uh, What's unique about Golden State Foods not only is our creed and value and our culture, but the fact that we're a privately held company, and we're also 100% management-owned and operated. You don't don't see that every day, uh, being management-owned and operated. And how about you, Herb? I I grew up uh, just outside of Boston. Uh, I have a, a background in the military. I joined the uh, the military right after right after high school. Spent about 21 years in the Marine Corps. 
about halfway through my Marine Corps career, I got into uh, training and development, and, and I think that was a great segue straight into uh, HR. Mm-hmm. Uh, I retired in 2005 uh, out here in Southern California, uh, spent a few years at some smaller logistics companies, uh, and then was recruited over to Golden State Foods. What's uh, the story I like to tell about how I was recruited is I had a recruiter reach out to me, and uh, he, he wouldn't tell me the name of the company, of course, and, and, I, and I finally told him, said, look, I'm happy. I don't want to go anywhere unless you tell me the name of the company. And he said it was Golden State Foods. Uh, when I was in school, I wrote a paper about uh, Ray Kroc, you know, kind of the, the person that really turned McDonald's into what it is. And you can't talk about Ray Kroc without talking about Golden State Foods and the type of company they are and how well their, their values aligned with what Ray Kroc was trying to do. So when he said Golden State Foods, I almost felt an obligation. I was excited. I said, of course I've got to go talk to this company. Uh, so that was about two years ago. Uh, I joined the company in uh, June of 2012 as the Southwest Regional HR Manager, uh, and then recently took a role working closely with uh, Steve as the, the Corporate uh, Director of Leadership Development. So, you know, kind of following your time in the Marine Corps, uh, Marine Corps you, you really had a successful career in HR, like you mentioned, and you actually started there when you, when you were in the service. Is that right? Just, Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, over the course of your career, you, you kind of seen the field of, of HR change and evolve. You know, from your perspective, what has been the positive and negative changes that you've seen? Well, I, I think there's there's two sides to it. I think there's a, uh, you know, there's very transactional side, and then there's mm-hmm. a kind of the organizational development piece that's that's changed. Uh, and I think the positive side on the transactional piece really is the things that we're seeing going on with with uh, with healthcare. Uh, and then the more attention paid to it, uh, companies are seeing the benefit and really educating their associates, making them better uh, consumers, and, and also providing an education on health and, and, and wellness. And part of that's cost containment, but part of that is building mm-hmm. relationships with the workforce. So I really appreciate the, that, that companies are doing that, trying to get closer and trying to educate their folks because the, you know, the, the, the healthcare landscape is uh, it's hard to follow. So when you have a company that you know, goes out of its way to do some education, Right. Uh, that's always helpful. On the uh, organizational development piece, I think a, a big change we're seeing is that companies are recognizing that technology uh, is, is starting to pull away. And, and a lot has to be done to keep your associates up with technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you're going to face this, what we call a knowledge cliff, where right. you, you're not going to have the talent, the knowledge to, to, to follow the technology. So I see a lot more companies, including Golden State Foods, you know, really d- dedicating themselves to you know, educating internally, but also reaching out and, and providing some educational, uh, you know, working with universities and maybe helping them develop curriculum that will match up with the, the the needs and the technology of where industry is going. It's a fascinating point because we, we've talked about this with other guests uh, in the past, that maybe 15 years ago, companies were offering training on how to use Excel and how to use Microsoft Word and how to use email. And now we expect people to show up and to know how to do that stuff. There's not a whole lot of training on how to use Microsoft Office anymore, right? And that was kind of a major initiative maybe 15, even 20 years ago. So that pushing back into colleges into what what are the things they're going to need to know when they show up to your door is probably a lot more efficient for companies, but it's certainly going to help applicants who are trying to be you know really viable in the marketplace. What is it they need to know? Do they know how to code? Do they know how to, what, what sort of technology things are going to be important for those positions as it grows? That, that, that's great that you guys are doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, Steve, I know you had the benefit of really two long-term positions at, with uh, Unisource for over you know, 20 years and then Golden State Foods 14 years. It seems like you are you like to stick around. Mm-hmm. That or people like you to stick around, one of the two, or both, you know. Hopefully both. <laughs> so along the same lines of the question I just asked her, 
you know, from what, from your perspective, is the kind of the positive and negative changes that you've seen in, in HR? I think they're the most dramatic changes, as Curb mentioned, in technology. But both, that's both a but blessing and a curse because it creates a an opportunity for all of us to be much more efficient and effective. But it also uh, creates um, a tremendous amount of voluminous emails and and extra effort and work that is very cumbersome at times. So I think technology is a definite key. The other key, I think, is the um, changes in the demographics of our workforce. At one time, you had one, perhaps two generations in the workplace at the same time. Now you may have as many as four or five. So not just Generation X, but the millennials and now uh, an entirely new workforce. And we have to adapt and change. We have to be flexible, and we have to adapt to their ways of wanting to be communicated and wanting to be coached and wanting collaboration and wanting to connect uh, and wanting to be uh, give back to communities, being socially responsible. So uh, the new generations that are, that are in the workforce right now create a lot of dramatic change for HR. Have either of you had to kind of implement a, a, a segmented communication style based on your demographic of who you're talking to? And what I mean by that is, you know, I have people in my company that would love it if I would send them a text message, mm-hmm. right? And I have others that would love it, an email, and I have others that, if we're, we're talking about something serious, they want to have a meeting, mm-hmm. <laughs> they want to be in the same room with me, you know, and those tend to follow a generational scale. Or ten, there's a few exceptions, but generally speaking, you know, you can look at them in generational pockets. Are you starting to see that kind of? Because you're talking about four or five different groups. Yes, we are. Uh, it wasn't too many years ago where our hourly workforce, warehouse truck drivers, people working in the plant, you'd have to put um, a posted memo into their box that they would pick up on a daily basis. <laughs> and that wasn't too many years ago. Right. And now they're saying, you got to text me that information. I can get it instantaneously. I can act upon it or put it onto my Facebook, or mm-hmm. um, send me a, a message you know, through my phone. But don't, don't send me a hard copy anymore. That just takes forever. So we're adapting and adjusting to a lot of varieties of uh, different workforces or different generations in the workforce that we have to adapt to. My wife's a teacher, and I was at her in the teacher's lounge the other day helping her, and I said, do you guys still use those boxes? And she said, no, not really. You know, so they're yeah, starting to move. So sometimes they throw stuff in there, things we got to give the kids, you know, a large amount of copies or something. But you know, they're not really communicating that way anymore. And it's amazing how what a shift and so quickly this has happened. Uh, that especially, you know, an organization as large as yours, that's got to be a real challenge to try to keep up with it and be able to to do it because not everyone wants to get a text or have it on their Facebook, right? You got to got to kind of figure out what everybody wants. Uh, maybe that's a business idea to let people opt in on how they want to be communicated to. So, well, I know in a, in a recent uh, article in Profile Magazine, it talked about how your core values for uh, Golden State Foods really kind of fuels its success. And that's very true for a lot of great companies. And really that you're utilizing that golden rule as a guiding principle. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how this business philosophy figures into your recruiting and specifically what you look for when you're engaging potential employees? Yes, Um we are a value-based company, so we uh, we do look for character well beyond skill sets. Um, as we interview and recruit Herb and I, you can always find people with the right skill sets, but you can't always find people with the right character. So we look for character first. We look for people that want to work in a team-based environment. They want to make sacrifices and commitments to help others that they work with. It's not a 
about the I, it's about the we. And we also have systems in place to reward and recognize those people who want to live out our values and our creed. Our creed and values are very meaningful to us. They're much more than just words on a wall or or uh, mission statements. Um, they help us sort through our difficult business decisions as a filter to help us make the right decisions for the right reasons. We come out and say, for instance, a little bit unique, I think, than most companies, and say we have a belief in God and the dignity of all people. And that catches some people off guard. We've, we've had some people challenge that and say you should have a separation between the two. Um, but we believe in God, so we come right out and say it, and we don't care if it's politically incorrect or not. Um, we also have respect the dignity of all people, and that doesn't mean the senior executives or certain work uh, parts of our workforce. It means everybody in the workforce, from the janitor to the CEO. So if people can buy into that value system uh, to have a belief and therefore a belief in goals and strategy, also have a respect for one another to treat every single person that they come in contact with with dignity and respect, uh, then they're welcome into our company. Well, and I think, you know, the idea of the golden rule, it, it, it can transcend cultures and religions and belief, non-belief, whatever, because how you treat somebody else, another person is what's important here, right? I mean, it, treating them how you want to be treated uh, with respect and dignity, I mean, that, that really translates across so many things that allows you to be really encompassing to just about anybody who wants to come in and, and, and treat their, their your customers and your vendors and your employees and staff, everyone with dignity and respect, so that it, it, it's a, it sounds like a good way to go, even though, like you said, there could be some controversy in the way you're you're pushing it, but people are free to, to choose if they want to be a part of that or not. Uh, is, would, would, do you have anything to add to that, Herb? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, just to me that speaks to uh, emotional intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. And when, when I'm looking for leaders uh, in recruiting, I talk about that. Uh, you know, the greens fees is having that technical competence. Yes, you have to have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's only about 30% of what we're looking for. You know, a, a right. successful leader is, you know, 30% technical competence, 70% emotional intelligence, and that's treating people the right way, understanding what their needs are. Uh, and to work for a company where, where, where folks understand that they're going to be listened to, they're going to be respected, it, it really makes our jobs easier because it's self-correcting. Mm-hmm. You know, folks will treat you know, management and their coworkers with respect just as well because they know that if they have something on their mind, they're going to be heard. So it's kind of self-correcting, and it really... You know, I, I, I tell folks the the productivity and the, and the and the value that comes with living by that belief system, uh, you know, is just just incredible. And you can probably make a direct line to productivity, you know, based off of this this belief system, mm-hmm. right? So I, th- I think it's a it's a it's a fantastic company uh, to work for, and, and, uh, and the associates feel the same way. Well, and one of the interesting things is, we, we, as a background check company that I run, I mean, we are always saying, you know. You can you can train people to have the skills that maybe they don't quite have, but you, it's really hard to train someone to not be a jerk, right? Yeah. <laughs> they show up to your door. They're either going to be a great, they're a great person. They've either gotten that point in their life or they haven't. Whether or not they know how to, you know, do a formula in Excel, it's something you can teach them, yeah. or what have you. And then there's some exceptions to some really exceptional skill sets, you know what I mean? But that's generally the rule. And so we've had people come to us and and even ask us about helping them with their culture, helping them install culture or change culture. And, and I, generally the first thing I say is you know, even if your culture isn't right, if you just have something to rally around, if you at least start somewhere with something that everyone can rally around, that's that's the best point to start with. And then you can build it from there. And it sounds like you guys started from a very simple idea, 
very simple concept and they have kind of been built a layer upon layer on top of that, uh, which, like you said, helps that self-correction. It helps guide everyone on how they should interact with each other, how they should uh, move within the organization uh, or not move and in some, some regards. So it's fascinating to hear that how well that's worked, especially because you guys are not in one location. You're not one place. You're right. in, in the, uh, the whole world, right? I mean, Correct. you're all over different parts of the world. So that can be challenging. Uh, for a lot of organizations, even with two locations or three locations or in two different states. So uh, it's good to hear you guys are having success with that. So, you know, obviously, as the alignment of culture and success are, are kind of well aligned within a company, employees start to have that clear understanding of what, you know, you expect out of them. So how do you think you ensure that, you know, employees feel continually valued? So it's it's one thing to that they know where they stand and how to communicate. But how do you make sure that they feel valued in the organization? Well, I think a, a real critical component is to listen and to listen with empathy and understanding. So we listen very carefully to our people. We bring our people, involve our, our associates at all levels within the entire decision-making process. So it's a, it's a company of inclusion. Uh, and it's also a company of playing to uh, strengths. We look for people and they're given skill sets and where they can add the most value to the organization, and, and we play on that. Um, but back to your earlier point, I think we we first try and create a strategy. And where are we going? How are we going to get there? How are we going to accomplish these goals? And then secondly, we put a structure together to support the strategy. And finally, we wrap that around with a very unique culture that engages and, and encourages participation and encourage active listening. And uh, I think those are the keys to our success. Well, I, th- I think we're going to need to uh, jump to our first commercial commercial break here in just a second. And when we come back, I want to ask a little bit about uh, what sort of programs or reward systems maybe you have in place uh, to help you really uh, push these core values. So uh, we'll be back just after this quick commercial break. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. I'm here with uh, Herb and Stephen of Golden State Foods, and we were just talking a little bit about uh, kind of their, what they do with inside their culture to really drive 
communication and respect for others. And we were talking quite a bit of kind of on the very general theoretical side of it, but there's also a practical side. And so, uh, Herb, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about what are some of the programs or things that you do to really drive this on a practical level. Yeah, you're, you're right. We, so we do have this common language and this, this, this common theme and common belief system that uh, is not only posted everywhere, but we really live that. Uh, but on the, on the uh, mechanical side of it, there are things that we do to make sure that's embedded. And one of the things that we do, one of the largest things we do is we do an employee survey about every 18 months uh, across the whole company, international also. We tally those results. We ask about 30 different questions ranging from everything to what do you think about the creed and values? What do you think about your boss? What do you think about the work environment? You know, just a real in-depth uh, environmental survey or associate survey. Once we tabulate all those results, we then go out, uh, when I say we, it's each and every HR person and general manager at all the facilities. We'll go out and get feedback, more color on the results from the associates. They'll sit with the associates and say, tell me what this means. And we'll spend some time doing that, and we'll develop focus groups uh, out of that. So that's really where we get the most of our communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's always continual information that comes out of focus groups. We, we have a nice form that we keep in our lunchrooms for all the associates called the speak-out form. If they ever want to contact Steve directly, they fill out the speak-out form, fold it up, mail it, and it goes directly to Steve. Uh, we have fantastic open-door policy uh, and a really engaged uh, HR team that goes out there and really wants to make sure that we're getting the feedback uh, because an engaged workforce is a, is, a, is a productive, happy workforce, and that's what we're looking for. So, you know, we have here uh, the uh, survey that you filled out uh, for Steve, for your boss. Should we read it aloud? Sure. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're anonymous. So that's what's oh, great about oh, it. Oh, so. oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'll leave this to whoever wants to answer it, but what do you see as the best part of, of the working environment and culture that's been created there at Golden State Foods? Uh, as I said before, there are people who care, care about the work. Uh, as Herb alluded to our associate survey in 2013, we asked our associates, are they highly committed to GSF success? Not just committed, but highly committed. And 98% of our associates agreed with that statement that they were highly committed. So we have people that care. They care not just about their work and being successful, but they care about the team. They compare, care about the company. Uh, they also care about their communities as they give back to their communities through our foundation. Um, so the caring aspect within our organization is is uh, very special to us. Um, and we try and think like smaller companies, and actually we are a much larger company. So if we think as a family unit, an extension of the family unit, we think that's healthy. And, of course, everybody responds to an organization that treats everybody with dignity and respect. And most most high performers want to be in a company that does maintain the highest standards, that does make the best product. So yeah. people aligned with our value system beyond the treatment of dignity and respect, but other other values of the organization as well. You know, one of the things in the article that I mentioned earlier um, was that it kind of talked about acquisitions and how Golden State uh, Foods kind of infuses a newly acquired entity uh, with these ideals, which seems like it could be a really big challenge. I mean, one of the biggest reasons a merger and acquisition will, will fail is lack of culture fit or lack of bringing people in and really making them feel a part of the organization as a whole. So as this you know, starts to kind of mold its, its culture and philosophy around what you're trying to do, maybe you can share some of those challenges that arise uh, when you bring in a completely different culture. I mean, maybe you've edited it enough. Maybe that's a part of your process in making sure they're going to fit. Or 
maybe it's is this a good acquisition from us from a money standpoint and then you really implement a good program to make sure the people come in the right way maybe you can talk a little bit about that well it does continue to remain a challenge for us of course the company that's interested in selling has to be aligned with our core businesses we don't want to get out of our comfort zone of what we do well in food processing and food distribution but beyond that we look very carefully through our due diligence at the cultural fit Uh, and if it's not a good fit and they don't treat their people with dignity and respect we will walk away from that deal but we have acquired companies where we haven't infused a gsf person into that work group and it's it's taken longer for the for the creed and the values in our culture to really take hold um, so we've learned th- uh, through a few lessons that it's best to place a GSF person, p- particularly an executive, into that organization as a valued team member and, and let them demonstrate how the Creed and Values plays out each and every day in, in filtering decisions, in treating people with dignity and respect, in always doing the right thing, making the best product. So it, it typically is most effective when we infuse a GSF executive into that environment. Um, if a year or two goes by, they're picking up bits and pieces of our culture, but they're not embracing it. And, Herb, I think you've had some experience in this area, too, within GSF. Would you agree? You, you know, I'd, I'd agree. Some of the uh, back to those transactional steps, you know, besides just uh, sharing the, the creed and values with them or, or placing somebody on site, uh, there's always recurring training. Steve just came back from New Zealand where he spent some time talking about the creed and values. Uh, I was out in one of our uh, newest facilities in St. Louis doing some training mm-hmm. uh, on some on, on trust and some things that, that speak to the creed and values. So I think there's an ongoing dedication that you have to have, and it really all depends on the size of the organization and, and how aligned they were to begin with. Uh, you know, that speaks to what, you know, what the dedication to uh, what size resource you need to put on site or what type of training you need to do. Uh, but it's something that we, we are always looking at, we're always talking about, uh, and always always refining. We're, we're getting calls from the folks that are on site saying, I want some more of this, I need some more of that, or things are going well. So would you say that maybe it's more like, especially with the bringing in a new group, more of a slow drip process, hoping that they kind of absorb this like a sponge, you know, kind of maybe a little at a time, as opposed to the, I think what most people would think to do is like the fire hose approach, just blast them with it and hope that you get them wet enough that, it, that it'll, the ideas will stick. It sounds like maybe you guys are taking the slower process. Would you agree? Well, I, I think you you know you get uh, more more flies with honey, mm-hmm. right? So the so the best way is to you you want them to to have the buy in. So treating them in accordance with the golden rule, in accordance with the creed and values, you know, is pure leadership through example. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the fastest way. Again, we start with an organization that is already somewhat aligned, so it's not a huge cultural night and day shift. Right. So if if they've got some of that alignment, some of that understanding, uh, they recognize the creed and values uh, and the benefit of it a lot faster, and it makes it a lot easier. I'd imagine you'd have some people opting out too pretty quickly if you're if you're being very transparent about who you are and how you're going to operate. We all know people that pretend to operate one way, but they know they're successful in operating another way. And if they don't see that as it's not going to work anymore, they start to opt out and, and find other other places to go. Right. Well, that's that whole self correction we talked about. Yeah. Folks will start to recognize. It's funny. I'll share a, a quick story of my very first interview with a person named Bob George, who was the president of distribution at the time, and I asked about that creed and values. My, my wife does marketing. Uh, so when I looked at how well marketed this creed and values were, I, I tactfully shared that. I said, is this just marketing or is this real? Mm-hmm. 
uh, with a real straight face, he said, you need to go back, you need to look at it, and if you disagree with anything, this is not the company for you. And that was the end of the interview. Right. Fortunately, he called me back, and, and I continued <laughs> the interviewing. But, it, but you know, if, if you live and breathe that, uh, that uh, value system, it self-corrects. Did you want to say something? I would only add to yeah. that that it, it, we don't do the fire hose approach. Right. Um, we do uh, lead by example. And the more we bring in our most senior executives to demonstrate how the values play out in the everyday life, the better uh, we can bring the culture to a newly acquired company. But our strategy is more of a sell than a tell. So let me show you how to do it. Let me and convince you that this is the right way to do it. And hopefully you embrace it. Um, but to your point, either they opt out or they become exposed at some point in time. Um, but we do expect that in some reasonable period of time with some patience, they are going to embrace the, the creed and values in our, in our overall culture. Both of you have been, been, as, uh, been in business a long time and, and working with this company for a good amount of time. You, you kind of know that not every workplace is perfect. Not everything works as we would like it to do. So. Aside from the fact that Steve gets to go to New Zealand, um, what are some of the maybe common complaints or things that you feel like you have to deal with in, in managing the size of an organization that you have? Well, I would say in all of our associate surveys, we do get some very good scores, but we have uh, opportunities to improve in trust, uh, as Herb well knows. Uh, we have opportunities to improve in training and development. We have opportunities to improve in communications. I think those... Uh, as we get these high scores on, on other areas of, of how uh, much we communicate reasonably well, there's always opportunities for improvement. So in our survey scores, what we tend to do is to look, even if it might be a reasonably good score of 85, that's still the lowest score amongst this category of questions. So that's an opportunity. Let's work on it. And so I'd say training and development and communications often pop up as opportunities within our company uh, time and time again. And as as much as we strive towards these ideals, we're not perfect, so we make mistakes, and the opportunity that we have is to, is to blame the process and fix the process, not blame the person. Herb, is there anything that you, you see that you guys have to tackle on a regular basis? Well, you know, tackle's kind of a strong word. I think uh, Steve's right. We're not, we're not perfect. Uh, I think one of the things that is different about us is how aggressively we seek feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the feedback we get, I don't see anything, or and you know, I've only been here just under two years. I haven't seen anything that I would call, hey, this is a showstopper, this sure. is an obstacle, it's a bottleneck. Uh, normally when we see the results, we're kind of scratching our heads, kind of, ah, we saw that coming, let's right. fix it, let's work on it. But the, the normal things communicate to me differently. There's a changing workforce. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the scores and different questions are going to change the uh, the the you know the the X's and the Y's want different things than the traditionalist and baby boomers wanted. Right. Uh, so you get that type of information, but uh, all very normal. Communicate better, as Steve mentioned. You know, uh, work on trust. We need a better relationship, so we want we work on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but nothing that's a bottleneck or an obstacle. Well, yeah, and it sounds like you know sometimes with with trust, it's just a matter of more communicating more, and, and as we mentioned then maybe it's communicate more, but in a different way right. so that they, they get the message, they understand what's happening, and it's it's, it's real time. They, they can go on their Facebook wall and find out immediately what's happening to their 500 of their friends they would never normally talk to, but they want to know immediately what's happening with the company and immediately right. where you're going and what you're thinking, what you're doing. And that's a challenge for a lot of companies to have to be able to share that. And, and what other... Besides in New Zealand, what other countries are you guys primarily focused in right now? Uh, China. We have two operations in China, two in New Zealand, two in Australia, and one 
um, distribution and liquids plant in Cairo, Egypt. So at least there are two of those facilities. You now you're looking at, I mean, you're looking at cultural differences, even even state to state. In, in the United States, and you certainly have cultural differences with some of those other facilities, but you have language barriers or language challenges as well when you look at ones in China and Egypt. So you guys really have this kind of layer upon layer, it's almost like an onion peeling it back to how do you get down to the real core to communicate those things. Right. So that, that can be a challenge. Uh, so let, let's talk about employee management and leadership development a little bit. Maybe Herb, you know, a part of your job to kind of oversee all aspects of that, leadership training and development for this global company. From a talent and leadership perspective, what are the biggest challenges you're facing in a company your size? Well, I, I think, uh, and again, not challenges that are insurmountable that we can't that can't be tackled and can't be sure. uh, addressed. But it's and I'm not sure I call it a challenge, but it's it's a new dedicated position, right? We've I've been in it for for 90 days, I think. Uh, the great thing is most of the training and development has been uh, taking place uh, regionally. We've had the university for a little bit. Uh, but some real in-depth things have been taking place regionally, which is fantastic because it, it, it covers the things you talked about, the language barriers mm-hmm. uh, uh, and the other the other uh, differences. So I think one of the challenges uh, is going to be is, is, is to really look at all these things that have been taking place regionally, pulling them together, making sure everybody has their input, and then really spending some time and making sure that when we select a process that we want to centralize and we want this to be the best practice for everybody making sure it's the best of the best, mm-hmm. whether it comes from something Egypt does or something that New Zealand does or something they do in the Carolinas, making sure that we get all the input uh, and making sure that we have a quality team that can look at it and say, this is the best of the best, and this is what we want to centralize, and this is what's going to be the norm for the company. Mm-hmm. Anything on that that you would add? Yes. Um, in the early 2000s, 2000 to 2008, I would imagine, we implemented a succession planning program where we identified our leaders for tomorrow to take over positions of greater responsibility, but we didn't do enough to develop those leaders. So we created our own in-house uh, GSF University in 2009-2010, and it's dedicated to bringing our leaders together to develop their leadership skills and other general management skills so that they can be ready to assume those positions of greater responsibility, not just to be thrust in the job. And a few years into the GSF University, we realized that we needed a dedicated resource to really drive the university and take it to greater heights. And that's when we brought Herb over from his regional role to come over to our corporate office and take over that role as, as a director of leadership development. Herb's done a great job and can really dedicate all his time and effort to ensure the success of all of our associates who wish to develop their careers. And that's a fantastic resource and really it's selling point for people coming in your organization or wanting to stay in your organization because you're really finding people who are who are going to be those next leaders. You give them the training so they have that upward mobility. They have that, you know, if they, if they want that, some people don't. Some people mm-hmm. will like coming in every day, doing their job and, and going home and that's it. And other people want to learn something new. They want to have that next challenge. So it sounds like another kind of piece here to this overall puzzle as to why your, your company's you know doing so well and having some great success. Yeah, I think one of the great things about the university is the university came as a result of feedback from associates. Ah. came from an associate survey where they said more training and development, more training and development. So in 2009, the company went out and looked at you know what's taking place in industry and what can we model ourselves after, uh, and really developed it in 2009 by putting together a steering committee 
went out and found a learning management system and really started populating that, partnered with some, some local resources to include local resources internationally uh, that can help cross some of those barriers we talked about. Right. But we have, you know, online courses. We have about 60 online courses. Uh, and then each year we offset it with uh, an instructor-led training. This, this year and last year both focused on trust. Uh, Steve and I have been teaching trust, and we've partnered with uh, Franklin Covey. We've partnered with some other companies in the past to go out and do some training. But all of this, this fantastic university, is all at the request of the associates. They're in tune to, in many ways, to what you need to be doing to begin with. I mean, you guys are kind of, if you're reacting to something that they're asking for, but that's also exactly what you need to continue to be successful. That goes back to how everyone's in, in tune to what you're doing culturally right. and on the on the right page and on the right track. So hopefully that will continue so that you can you can divert these sort of dips in 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 your growth or, di- or having problems that some keep companies seem to have when they're not focused on some of these outwardly things that you need to be doing from a training perspective or development perspective. Right. Well, I know we uh, need to get to our uh, last uh, commercial break here. Uh, really enjoying our time here with uh, Steve and Herb. Uh, so when we come back, we're going to ask a little bit more about uh, how they assess talent uh, and looking for their top performers uh, after our last commercial break here. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show or listen to past shows by visiting octalkradio.net and clicking on the Shows tab and, of course, clicking on Talent Talk. In the, we've existed for well, less than a year now, but we've had an amazingly a huge amount of following on iTunes and so many of you coming in listening to the podcast, so we thank you. Uh, let's get back here to uh, my guests, uh, Herb Callahan and uh, Steve Becker. And we were just talking about uh, talent development and, and how they really get people to to uh, learn the skills that they need. And it sounds like they're doing a lot internally with uh, their own university to really develop their own people. But a question I had for either one of you is when you're assessing talent and looking for top performers that, that might fit into that kind of larger su- uh, succession plan, what are the key elements that you're typically looking for for those those people? 
Well, I, I think, uh, as we mentioned earlier, just like uh, re- recruiting, there's two pieces, right? There's that bench mark of you've got to have mm-hmm. the technical competence. Uh, and we're, when we look at technical competence, we want folks that have the capacity to, to move up at least two levels. Uh, we don't want to hire. We don't want to hire anybody. We don't want to put, put anybody into a position where that, that, that's all they can do. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't just do, or all they can do is the job. We want them to have some upward mobility, but that's about thirty uh, percent. Again, that other seventy percent is the, is the the whole character that we've talked about. How do mm-hmm. they represent uh, the creed and values? How do they represent being the best of the best? Uh, so there's really two pieces. There's the technical competence piece, and then there's are they a good fit culturally? Right. So you know, we all have people that we've helped to to shape, inform you know as leaders. But uh, Herb, maybe we'll start with you. Do you maybe you could identify a that type of a person that maybe really had an impact on you and and, and to the type of leader you are today? Sure. I, I think I, I mentioned I have a, a military career. I spent 21 years in the Marine Corps, uh, and I think I did a lot of forming there. But besides strong family influences, there's always mm-hmm. an uncle or your dad or a brother that you can point at. But my early days in the military, there were a few folks that uh, I really looked up to, and they, you know, had they were full of technical competence, and they had lots of emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. uh, and they were really uh, credible leaders. Uh, and I and I think what I I got from them is uh, as they watched me grow, they 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 extended trust to me. Uh, they they would give me a task that's just outside my wheelhouse, and they knew I would get it done. Uh, and and when you do that, there's a huge return on investment. So the, the not wanting to let them down really drives you to uh, deliver more, get better results, get better at what you're doing, and really not let them down because they've extended this trust. So there's a, uh, a couple folks I've, I've actually gone to combat with, uh, that I've, and, I, and I still keep in touch with them mm-hmm. through LinkedIn or social uh, networking, but really had a big impact on me. Uh, one was a, uh, a gunnery sergeant, Jose Oliva, uh, who really taught me a lot about what my skill set was. Mm-hmm. Uh, taught me a lot about leadership. And another, uh, he's a colonel now, Mitch McCarthy. Again, both of them, the, the core thing they did was extend trust uh, and allow me to develop. And Steve, how about you? Anyone in your life that you would point to to really kind of help form who you are today? Yeah, I smile when I say this because a friend of mine, a real gentleman, his name is Pike Peterson, and he was a president of uh, Unisource Worldwide, and I reported to Pike. And here I'm the HR guy supposed to have all the compassion, and this fella had a heart of gold, and he would care about people even when they didn't deserve it. And when people probably needed to leave the organization, he was there to give them uh, another chance. So he inspired me and truly made me want to stay in human resources with the example that he set. But my father-in-law also told me a great uh, piece of advice for, for HR purposes. He was a his name was John Cronin in San Francisco, and he was a senior executive vice president of the then Crocker Bank. And he said, make sure you don't have all the answers until you have all the facts. That has stayed with me to this very day, because as we in HR do investigations, determine who's right and who's wrong and where's the middle ground, I always made sure with his advice that I listened carefully and I got all the facts. Don't quickly arrive at a decision based on one person's opinion or perhaps another, but get all the facts before you have all the answers. That's a hard skill sometimes for people because they they want to they want to make a decision quickly. They want to get it right. They want to be decisive. And, and 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 many times someone can give you a very impassionate plea of why something is happening. Right? And when you get the facts, you find mm-hmm. out that the motivations are quite different. Uh, so that, that that's a great piece of advice. Yeah. You know, in listening to both of you talk so far today, I've kind of noticed that 
One of the things that I have uh, very often mentioned on this show and talked about when people are looking to create their culture is suggesting that they have three things, and it's mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And even though you've not categorized in that way, that really is what you're talking about. I mean, the mastery mm-hmm. part is giving them the opportunity to grow to, to, you said you know be able to go up another level or two levels, um, having that university in place where they can grow. The autonomy piece you just hit on that, giving people those challenges with maybe just outside their wheelhouse, but there's now been that trust and they can go and do it on their own. They're going to go and figure it out and be able. They're going to feel good that they're trusted. They're going to feel good they're challenged and feel good that they went and accomplished something without being micromanaged to death. Right. right? right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then you know that purpose. I mean, we started off the the, the show here today with your the Golden State Foods purpose being very clear and what what that is and being very much a part of your culture. Uh, and it really goes back to I think uh, why you're successful and, and why your why your employees give you such good marks on, on those reviews. Uh, no challenges there, just uh, small things, right? Right. right. <laughs> so you know, one thing that we we ask our our guests is. Do you feel like there's a skill or a technique or something that really contributes to your role today, but you had to work on it? It wasn't something natural for you when you started. Uh, and maybe we'll start with you, Herb. Uh, maybe you could share with us, uh, you know, if there was something like that that you had to work on. Sure. Uh, it's funny. I think it's an ongoing challenge for uh, uh, for men. If you ever read the book, I think it's Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, mm-hmm. where men think compartmentally and we're fixers, mm-hmm. right? And uh and in a leadership position, regardless of whether or not it's HR, folks come to you because you must have some answers, right? right? Uh, so I think the biggest challenge is to is to is to listen first, and and, and to listen with with empathy, as Steve said, not listen uh, because you're waiting for your turn to speak because you already right. have the answers. Really listen, do some reflective listening, read it back to them, uh, and I and I think th- that's something I have to constantly work on, either because I'm I'm a male uh, or. You know, it's just it's it's a way to develop relationships with associates. So I think listening first is something that uh, I can always get better at. Yeah, that was one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was to not listen to answer, to listen to learn something, to hear right. what they're saying, and it's okay to pause and then think about what your answer is. Right when you're, when you're thinking about it while they're saying it, which is actually really a big challenge on the radio show. <laughs> yeah. but um, then you get a lot more out of it. Get- and recognizing that it's okay not to have the answer. Right. Absolutely. Right. Uh, Steve, how about you? Oh, at times in my, early in my career, it was a challenge to uh, communicate the one message to all parties. Um, what I mean by that is I might go in and do an HR audit of a facility, and I would tend to be polite to the j- local manager and tell him partially what he wanted to hear. I'd tell him the things that were really good about his facility, but I would tend to minimize the things that I didn't, that troubled me with the facility. And I made the mistake one time early in my career to come back to more senior officers and and share and maybe even embellish some of the things that I thought weren't working. And I really did that local manager a disservice. I should have communicated one message to him, the same message that I brought back to uh, the more senior management. Yeah, and that's that. I guess that can come from youth, right? Where you want to show your boss or whoever that you know what you're doing, and then you don't want to make waves with that person down below. Yeah, that that that's that's something you see definitely at that level. <laughs> you know, one of the things, and it's interesting that you guys both had things that you really identified. But a lot of times when I ask the question to someone who's really really successful, I say, you know, do you need to work hard at the things you're not good at? And they always say yes. You should. Really work hard at those things that you're not good at. And then I say, but do you do that? And they say, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. I give it to somebody else to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, and those are the things like maybe I'm not good at 
doing my taxes or I'm not good at public speaking or whatever. But what you guys are talking about is these little smaller skills that go into really being better at your job. Right. And those are different than the larger things of, do I want to be an accountant? Do I want to be a salesperson? Right. You know, in there. So uh, we're getting down here almost to the end. We want to make sure we ask our favorite question, and that is, what are you reading right now? And tell us about it. We'll start with you, Steve. Uh, a number of books through uh, Leading with the Speed of Trust through uh, Sean Covey or Stephen M. R. Covey. Um, the work, the Workforce, 2020 Workforce by Kerry Williard has uh, been fascinating to me to, as we talked about the Millennials and the Generation X. Why Men Earn More by Warren Farrell is kind of a, an interesting book that I have read here in the recent past. I continue to try and stay abreast, as I think most people do, but um, I, it challenges me to, uh, to sit down and read a full 400-page book, mm-hmm. particularly in one sitting. You need that app. Was it abstract.com that's got those little things? Those are great sometimes. Cliff, cliff notes, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Need that. It's a little bit more, but yeah, it's yeah. essentially, yeah. yeah. What, what do you need to know? <laughs> right, right. I use that sometimes to decide whether I'm going to buy the whole book, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and how about you, Herb? Well, uh, I'm reading a textbook, right? Uh, I'm, I'm back at school right over here at Brandman. Uh, and I'm reading a book called, or actually just finished one called The Skilled Facilitator. Uh, the title sounds a little bit dry, but it's really one of my new favorites. It's what they call it in TV. It's a, it's a new classic. You, you think it was about presentation skills, but it's really about group dynamics. Mm-hmm. And what it's made me do is is think about when you know when somebody comes to me and says, "Hey, we need to do some teamwork." Uh, instead of going out immediately and let's do some some trust falls and let's talk about trust and get to know each other and, and those types of things, uh, it, this book makes you dig into well, what are the group norms? What's the mission? What's the what's the vision? How do you address conflict? How do you do these different things? Right. Uh, and, and I think about that first, and that's half the battle of effective teamwork. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a good book. I'd, I'd recommend it to any HR practitioner. And just a reminder, everyone listening, we'll have those books up on our uh, blog summary. Uh, the uh, new People G2 website has been launched today, and we have a great new blog area that has all the radio, well, not all of them, but uh, many of the radio show uh, recaps. We're slowly getting them all up there. We're a little behind. And uh, you can check those out and uh, get all the great information in the books in one place. So uh, that's just about all the time we have today. I really want to appreciate and uh, say a huge thank you to Steve Becker and Herb Callahan for taking the time out to Golden State Foods for allowing us to take two of their best and taking an hour of their time and letting them uh, share with our network uh, all the great things that their company is, is doing uh, to stay on top. Tune in next week at the same time, at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, uh, to hear Jason uh, Averbrook, CEO of Aperio, and Mark uh, Concannon, president of Concannon Business Consulting. Gentlemen, thank you again for, for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Until then, uh, do what you love and show the whole, the whole world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Town Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping clients with their people-related decisions.